Good morning. We are continuing our series called Life at the Lake. And so what we're doing is looking at different happenings around the Sea of Galilee and uh, really stepping into the teachings and miracles of Jesus around the Sea of Galilee. A lot of his ministry happened there. So this is really important stuff to try to grasp, try to to get a a hold of, of the main teachings and miracles of Jesus. We'll be dealing a lot with Luke chapter 8 today, so if you want to go ahead and put your finger in Luke chapter 8, we're going to be reading a lot of the scripture uh, today, and I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation, so it'll be a little bit different than uh, probably what you have in your hand, but uh, if you're on an electronic Bible... Uh, you can just switch that over to NLT, and you'll be following along uh, very easily. So there's all of that. Um, we're going to talk about Jesus and specifically his healing power today. A lot of us go through life either with spiritual wounds, emotional wounds, or physical wounds, and we see it over and over and over and over again in Scripture about how people are healed. And part of us, probably, if you have someone sick in your life, you think, why is that not applying to me? What does that look like? And we have this wrestling with these wounds. And so today I'm going to want to look at how Jesus heals people, and specifically in the spiritual, the emotional, and the physical ways. And maybe, just maybe, we can figure out how that applies to us. Because I'll be honest with you, this is one of the, this message was written to Jared, <laughs> for Jared, and you kind of just get it, uh, okay? That, this has been one of the ways in which I've kind of struggled and worked my way through my mom being sick my whole life. And so you get a little picture of that this morning, but I think it's helpful uh, to uh, really examine the way in which God heals, and that as we start out this whole message, we have to realize that that doesn't mean he heals the way we want him to. And that doesn't always look exactly the way we want it to. And so with that all being said, we'll read who heals is Jesus. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is what he does. He heals us either spiritually, emotionally, physically. In healing, Jesus always has a bigger story to tell. In healing, Jesus always has a bigger story to tell. It's bigger than your infirmity. It's bigger than your issue, whatever that is. You think it's a pretty big deal? My dad likes to say everybody's pain hurts, right? It's uh, growing up with my mom's issues And uh, if you don't know, my mom's had rheumatoid arthritis since she was 18 years old. She's got issues, okay? It just happens, right? And so with that, when you have, you know, shoulders replaced and knees replaced and all kinds of weird surgeries happening, she's in pain. And so when you, as my dad's a pastor and I'm a pastor, when you, when you get the, the prayer request of, you know, so-and-so twisted their ankle, you're like, get over it, right? The mercy quotient's really low. But you're like, wait, no, everyone's pain hurts. I there's not a scale. If you hurt, you hurt, right? And so that, that whole mercy thing, but my dad's like, Jared, everybody's pain hurts. And slap me in the head and 
I'd slap him in the head, and that's the way our family worked, except it's really hard because he's 6'6", so I had to jump when I slapped him in the head. But that, that was a, kind of a saying around our house because it was really always putting everything in perspective. Everybody's pain hurts. Sometimes you don't see everybody else's pain. You can't see what you're dealing with. I don't know what, what Larry went through this week. That's, it's complete emotional pain. I don't know what Elaine went through this week. That was physical pain. But everybody's pain hurts. And the beauty of Jesus and how he heals people is that he heals our spiritual pain. He heals our physical pain. He heals our emotional pain. And sometimes he does all three at the same time. Sometimes we're praying for physical healing and he, he, he heals our emotional pain. It's like, but, but God, I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, that, uh, okay. <laughs> because at the end of the day, God is still in charge and we aren't. We don't get to order him. He's not uh, our doctor where we're like, um, I need to order a, a new elbow and whatnot, and he's way more concerned with a different part of our person in healing. In healing, Jesus always has a bigger story to tell. We're going to look at three different instances in Luke chapter 8 where God is, you think you know what the story is going to be. You think the person thinks they know what the story is going to be, and God blows it up. And he's like, you know what? Here's your little pain, and I'm going to treat a bigger issue. And maybe, just maybe, in your issue, in your hurt, whether it be spiritual, emotional, or physical, God is telling a bigger story. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. So they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes, across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time he had been homeless and naked. Living in the tombs outside of town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of Most High God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of the man, even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles. He simply broke them, rushed out in the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, what's your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. Demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the hillside nearby, and the demons begged to be, to be let into, into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. I imagine they were a little freaked out. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane. They were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away. Leave them alone, for a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him home, saying, No, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. In healing, God had a bigger story to tell. The guy would have been a great disciple, right? I pretty good testimony. I once was a guy who was running around the tombs naked, 
And now Jesus has healed me. He has reclaimed my life. I am different now. This would have been good. Except Jesus says, no, 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 no. I don't want you to go tell the people in Jerusalem. I don't want you to go tell people in other towns. I want you to be right where you're at. That the people of your community have to deal with you. They can get mad about God. They can not like God. They cannot believe in God. But there's always this dude. And they see him and they have to wrestle with this. Because they can say, oh, Jesus didn't, didn't do these things. He's not real. He's not all this stuff. But then there's this man who once was this, and now he is this. He once was out in the tombs, and now he is perfectly fine living among. What Jesus is saying, no, 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 you can be more effective. I got a bigger story for you to tell than just the man who was redeemed, just the man who was reclaimed, just the man that was healed. But I have a bigger story for you to tell where you get to be a light unto the world right where you are at. I think this is what that means for us in Shorewood. So often we're like, oh, if I become a, I'm a Christian and, and, and the super Christian is the missionary who goes off into some far off place, which is fabulous and wonderful and, and is needed in this world. But to some of us, our calling is right where you're at, right in the workspace that you're at. No, 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 don't go anywhere else. I want you right there in the uncomfortable place where people have to deal with you, where you once were this, and now you are this, where your work life changes and people are uncomfortable around you because they're like, something is different. And I have to do something where... God has a bigger story to tell through you. Second uh, story I want to talk about is found in verse 40. On the other side of the lake, so Jesus is gone on the other side. He's got this crisscross thing. The crowds get too big. He gets in the boat, goes on the other side. Crowds get too big or they yell at him because he through their whole economy into the uh, lake. And he gets in the boat and goes on the other side. So that's, he's just kind of going back and forth, okay? On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcome Jesus because they've been waiting for him. They must have seen the boat, like, okay, he's coming. You know, you know he's, not a, he's not a power boat, right? It's a sailboat. It's like, Row faster, Peter, come on. Yeah, if this guy's healing people, he's feeding 5,000 people, he's doing all these things. Can you imagine, like, the party? You don't have TV. You don't have anything else. Jesus is coming to town. Sorry, that's how I... Through the scripture. Uh, Jesus uh, welcomed Jesus because they've been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, the whole crowd is pressing up against you. I mean, like 80 people are touching you, is what Peter's basically saying. No, 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 no. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt the healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell at her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had immediately been healed. 
Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now she was already healed, but Jesus has a bigger story to tell, right? Immediately, the scripture says, as soon as she touched the garment with belief that she was going to be healed, she's healed. But Jesus does something more. He's physically healed her, and now he's going to emotionally heal her. So what he does is says, who touched me? There's a thousand people crowded around him. Who touched me? He's on his way. If I was Jairus, my daughter's sick. I don't care who touched you. There's a bunch of people. My daughter's dying. Let go. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Mm. Have you ever been in an ambulance with your kid and they don't have the sirens on? I have. It makes you like want to twitch. And they'll tell you, we don't do this because it actually causes more traffic jam. If we turn the sirens on, people act crazy. That might just be in Georgia. I don't know. But uh, that's, that's what it is. We don't, we don't turn on the, the ambulance unless they're like, so it's a good thing. They're not dying yet. Oh, okay, okay. I digress. But that would have been the mentality I would have had. Let's, let's go. I don't care. Who touched you? Who touched me? Jesus says. And what he does is he picks out this woman who for 12 years couldn't participate in the religious activities at at the synagogue, at the church. For 12 years, she wouldn't have been able to get married. No one would have have come in contact with her. She would have been unclean. She wouldn't have had friends. She would have been ostracized from her community. So all that baggage, all that weight is, is weighing on her shoulders. And out of the desperation of reaching for Jesus's Cloak, she is healed. So she would have been able to go through the steps to be restored to the community. It would have taken a while, but she finally would have gotten there. Well, whose house is she going to? Is Jesus going to? The synagogue leader, the very man who's going to restore her to the whole community. So you've definitely got his attention. What's going on here? Okay, she's fine. Let's go, right? And he's going to say, oh, okay, well, Jesus, let's, uh, let's hurry up. You see what's going on there. He is emotionally healing, as well as physically healing her. He's restoring her to the community. Everyone around, everyone that knows her, everyone that's been judging her, everyone that's been kind of going, kind of that weird girl got those issues. He restores her. He publicly says, she's okay. Not only is he physically healing her, he is emotionally healing her and restoring her to her rightful place in the community as well. Jesus always has a bigger story to tell. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no, trouble, no use troubling the teacher now. Skip down to verse 53. But the crowd laughed at him because they knew that she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, My child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. And Jesus told them to give her something to eat and her parents were overwhelmed. But Jesus insisted they not tell anyone what had happened. He restores her life. He restores it back to her in front of all these people, these naysayers, people making fun of Jesus. He says, you know what, little girl? Get up. In this story, he's shown he's got power over the demons. He's got power over physical healing, and he has power over life itself. He's got grander stories to tell in all of these. 
He's got a bigger story to tell in you as well. See, some of us feel like we have been useless and pushed out of town for a long time. Some of us have felt like we are just losing who we are all the time. Some of us feel hurt and like we're bleeding all the time. Some of us feel like we are dead inside and want to live again. Jesus wants to tell a bigger story than you. How does that work? How does that look like? I think it's by one way easy to remember it is by an acronym, SCARS. You know, me, I only use like two acronyms a year. So this is important, right? You get, if you have room in your notes, let's write SCARS down. We're going to fill that in. I have a few SCARS and SCARS have stories, right? SCARS have stories. I have a story to tell where um, I was learning how to do I was trying to make something for my son, so he's three feet away from me, and I ran a planer over my thumb, a scar on my thumb. I'm glad I have a thumb. But that's a story. Watching my son's face when blood's squirting out of him. It's not a good one. So note to self, keep your thumb, all appendages inside the moving vehicle at this time. Um, I have scars for that. You have scars. You have scars for that bike ride that you took. You have scars for that, that thing that you did that you know you shouldn't have done, right? You have scars from that. I have a scar from a time a, a person bumped me when I was working in the kitchen and the, and the restaurant griddle hit my arm and, and burned me in this huge blister on my, on my arm. I have a scar from where I got hit by a car and asphalt got embedded into my knees. I have scars. Some are stupid. Some are make good stories. I have a scar where I tore my rotator cuff and it looks like I got shot on the bow and arrow in my shoulder because where they put the incision. I got a scar on my face where a Doberman pincher bit me. You've got scars. We could go on and on. Everybody's like, I got a scar. Oh, let me tell you this story, you know? You sit around Paul and Perry at breakfast sometime, and it's hilarious, the stupidity that's coming out around that table. (laughs) And so you've got scars, but they tell stories. And either they're a story of regret or a story of you won't believe this Happens. There's a difference in that. Probably how you bounce back from that scar. The same is for us emotionally, spiritually, and physically as well. I have something with the, as I told you, I got bit by a Doberman pincher in my face. I love dogs. I don't particularly love Doberman pinchers, but I love dogs. I, I have big dogs. I, I enjoy dogs. Little dogs, big dogs, whatever dogs. Just not Doberman pinchers. This is the way it goes. I had a choice to make with that experience. Either I shunned all dogs and all the relationship that that could be because I was scared of having a relationship there and that scar would inform the rest of my life that I'm not going to be around dogs anymore. I think even that's a logical reaction to that. But then I cut myself off all of the experiences and wonderful experiences that I would have with our canine friends. I have a friend, her name's Julie, when she was a little child, she got chased around town by a three-legged poodle. <laughs> Jimmy knows Julie, and that's just funny. If you knew her, you'd be, you'd be there. But she got chased around town by a three-legged poodle, and so she hates all dogs. All dogs, because a three-legged poodle was chasing her around town, and she hates all dogs to this day. This happened you know, 40 years ago, but she still hates dogs. She had a choice to make. Am I going, how am I going to react to that? You have the same choice with your scars and emotional wounds at 
the same time. How am I going to deal with that? How am I going to process that? All right, to the acronym. S is for sovereign. God has to be sovereign. Does he have control of the situations or not? And our tradition, in Church of God at Anderson, we have this, basically in theology, you have this balance going on. God is sovereign or God is love. And you, they're, all, they're at odds with each other. They're not really, but in theological arguments, they are. And so sometimes we err on the side of God is love higher than God is sovereign. And our Calvinist friends err on God is sovereign more than love. And we both get it out of whack, and we have issues when we both get it out of whack, okay? So that's basically what happens. But when I start thinking about God as sovereign, is he controlled of the universe or not? Is he the one that put earth at a specific place at a specific time with a moon that goes around at a certain point, perfect distance away from the sun, so that we can have weather patterns, so that we can have life, so that we can do, so that we can da 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 and it all actually happen. Because that's a sovereign God. A God that's like, oh yeah, I got this. I can spin this one, and I can spin this one, and I can spin this one, and I even care about you. Is God sovereign? Because if he truly is in control, he is in charge. One of the things that I think we struggle with the sovereignty of God in is this. God is accessible. I know who's in charge of me in life. I can't go and talk to the mayor of Joliet anytime. I don't even know if Joliet has a mayor, I'm assuming. So I, I can't talk to him. I was like, hey, I need a meeting with you. He's not going to be oh, sure, come on in. I can't talk to my state representative that way. I can't talk to my governor. Surely can't talk to my president that way. It's, not, it's just not going to happen. I'm not accessible to them. They're in charge, but I'm not accessible. God takes away a little bit of his, the mystique of sovereignty because it's accessible. Right now, at this moment, you can be praying in your seat and taken to the throne room of God. He's accessible. But don't let the accessibility of God take away his sovereignty, that he still is king of kings, lord of lords on most high. God is sovereign. And if he truly is sovereign, he has power over all healing, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual. He is sovereign. Second thing is God, the same omnipotent, uber-powerful God, cares about you. He cares about you. This is hard to wrap my head around. Why would the same God who put the earth spinning at a particular speed in time and the moon perfectly distanced from that, going around at a perfect speed in time, and going around a, a sun that's going around something else at a perfect speed in time, why does that God care about me. He does. That's what Jesus is all about, that God cares about your pain. However big, however small, it does not matter. He cares about that pain and that issue. I think some of us, when you get into prayer request circles, it's like, oh, well, I'm not going to, he had a really good one. You know, his brother's got cancer. I'm not going to bring up my stuff. I'm a, you, you ever gotten that tension where like, oh, I'm not going to bring up this thing. My family is kind of rocky right now, and I need to pray for my daughter. But, you know, they had cancer, so my prayer request really doesn't matter. That's absolutely wrong. God cares about it. There's not a judgment on, on a cosmic scale of, oh, God, I don't, if my child stubs their toe, I still care about their toe. 
If my child needs to go to the hospital, I still care about them needing to go to the hospital. That's how God views us. He cares about us. In complete sovereignty, he still has a tender heart towards us. Third, we need to accept that we need healing. Accept that we need healing. This is an issue, right? I think especially for uh, maybe the men in the group. I'll just walk it off. Just rub some dirt on it. Be okay. It's all right. Be okay. You, uh, you act like a Monty Python character. It's just a flesh wound. We accept that we have these wounds. We accept that, like, yeah, God, there is something wrong here. And the only thing that can fix this issue is you. Accept that we have baggage. Accept that we have pain. Accept that there are wounds. Accept that there is something needed healing. We don't just have to walk it off. We don't just have to to, uh, act like it's not there. We need to accept that. Receive. We have to receive the healing from God. Receive the healing from God. Okay, you all have had children. Well, those of you who have children, not all of you have children, but if you have children or you've been a child, I can say that with absolute certainty. Everyone in here has been a child. <clears throat> and there comes the day where you get the boo-boo, right? You get the boo-boo, the skin knee, the, the splinter, whatever the boo-boo is, you get one or they get one. And you have the reaction to the hydrogen peroxide coming out on the cotton swab right there, right? There's two kinds of people. One, get it on there. And then there's my wife. <laughs> right? <clears throat> so you have, it's hydrogen peroxide. It doesn't hurt. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't, you do know what my mom did. She grabbed the bottle of iodine. It's like, <laughs> now that, now that hurt people. All right. And your whole leg's orange and it looks like it just got chopped off. It's bad. Anyway, these are some of the scars that I have. In life. Um, <laughs> but iodine is no joke. But you, you have these people where you're like, oh, I don't want to get healed because, yes, I have this issue. Yes, I've got a skin knee. Yes, I've got a problem. But I don't want to go through the healing process. I don't want to receive the healing that goes on. I don't want to admit that I have a problem. I don't want to have, nope, it's okay. Don't touch it. It's all right. But you, you're bleeding. I don't, that band aid's going to hurt me, right? We, we deal with it that way. And we deal that with that way on a spiritual level with God as well. God, I don't know, because if I receive that emotional healing, I'm going to have to let go of some stuff. If I've received that from you, God, I'm going to have to change my behavior in some way. I'm actually going to be better. And when it comes down to it, we don't even know if we actually want to get over the stuff that we hurt over. Who are we going to be if I get over that? What's my identity going to be if I don't deal with that issue anymore? We have to come to a place where we say, God, I want to receive this healing. I will humble myself to be able to be molded, to be able to be shaped, to be able to be whoever you want me to be. Because God is constantly trying to tell a bigger story through your scars. And finally, a story. How you let God deal with your scars will be the story of your scars. What kind of story do you want? My scar writes a J on my face. I have my initials. I didn't have to get a tattoo or a brand or anything. I got my initial on my face. 
It says I was attacked, but not defeated. It says I went through something and overcame, and you've got the same scars. Maybe they're emotional, maybe they're spiritual, maybe they're physical. But it says I wasn't defeated, but I defeated it. What story are you going to tell? And this is how we talk to our family. This is how we talk to our friends. This is how we talk to our coworkers about the glory of God, is we tell them about our scars, what I've been through. They might not believe the scripture. They might not believe the Bible. They don't want to hear all that, but they'll listen to, this is who I was, and this is who I am now. This is where I was And this is who I am now. Everyone can do that. Everyone can tell the story of themselves. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to have all all the answers to everything because guess what? Nobody does. But you have to be willing to say, listen, this is who I was. And Jesus did this for me. He healed me of this issue. Whether it's the emptiness inside and the loneliness inside, like the Gesserine demoniac whether it's the issue of being totally out, ousted of our community and this issue of bleeding and just feeling like our heart is just pouring out wherever we are, that God restored me. Whether it's like I was dead inside. I was dead inside, but God brought me back to life. What's your story? See, all three of these came to Jesus. You can do that too. All three were blessed by a caring God. You can receive that as well. All three knew there was a problem and needed it fixed. All three received healing and were changed because of it. Healing starts with believing that God is God and you need healing. We can mask it with medication and band-aids all of our life. But until we truly have God as our Lord and Savior, the healing can't happen. He loves you, sovereign as he is. He loves you and cares for you. In his sovereignty, though, there's a catch. We can't order which kind of healing we're going to get. I look at my mom. My mom has received emotional healing from this story. And her story is a story of overcoming the emotional pain of all the stuff with rheumatoid arthritis. Does she have physical ailments? Absolutely. Has God healed her at specific occasions with different physical things? Yes. But the grander story, the bigger story, is how she's emotionally come through that. That may be for you today as well. We expect God to do these things, but when we expect it and say, God, you have to work this way, all we're doing is saying, I am God and you are not God. That doesn't work very well. In my healing today, in your healing today, I want to be like the woman who sneaks up on Jesus and grabs the hem of his garment. Because I've got stuff that I'm just desperate for God to heal. And I believe you've got stuff that you are desperate for God to heal. So as we close today, as we pray, let's just take the posture of coming and sneaking up on Jesus, knowing we are unworthy and grabbing the hem of his garment. Let's pray. God, I need you. I come to you today 
broken inside. I come to you today weary. I come to you tired. I come to you hurting. We come to you today with wounds that are so old and they fester and they hurt us. But God, I don't want to limp anymore. I don't want to wince anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to have this pain anymore. I need your healing. And God, all around this room, as people reach out for your garment, would you heal us in these spiritual and emotional and physical ways? God, that you would give us our eyes to be able to see what kind of healing we've received. That we can go from this place knowing that you care about us, that you are in charge, that you love us, that you have the power and the willingness to change us, to set us on a new path, to care about us. God, we ask you to write our story. I don't want to be stuck in a small little story anymore. I want to be in your story. I love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.